Good morning, buenos dias a todos. Buenos dias, my friend. You are super chatty this morning. That's cool. If you can find your place, your seat, that would be awesome. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Gabby. I'm one of the pastors here at Cedar Mill, and I am super excited to be preaching today. Woo! Yeah! All right, this morning we're going to continue with our Nativity series. And if you haven't been here for the last couple of weeks, what we're doing is that we're, to, we're uh, looking at the people that we traditionally see in the Nativity and highlighting each one of them and analyzing or imagining how this experience must have been like for each one of them from their own perspective. Pastor Dave already talked about the shepherds. Last week he talked about Joseph. And today we're going to be talking about Mary. And before we dive into the sermon, I want to share with you a little bit about my, my own journey getting ready for this sermon because it was quite enlightening to say the least. As I began to think about this topic, about Mary, one of the things that I noticed right away is that I actually don't think about Mary that often. Whenever I want to look at biblical figures, examples of great faith, I usually go to Abraham. I go to Abraham a lot because he was an immigrant. He was called into a foreign land, so I identify with him a lot. I go to Paul because I think I identify with his personality. <laughs> I, I, like to, I like to look at Hannah. I like to look at Hannah from the Old Testament. And I also look at the woman at the well. Because I like to experience Jesus' grace through her life. So those are the people that I tend to go to a lot. But I rarely go to Mary. Very rarely. And I wondered why. And I pondered on this for a very long time. And I came up with two theories that I want to share with you. <laughs> because... These uh, obstacles, you know, these things, they might be obstacles in your own journey of faith as they were in mine. And the first one has to do with the way Mary has traditionally been depicted by artists throughout history. Whether it's a painting, a sculpture, a stained glass. If you think about it, most of these pictures, most of these images, well, many of them, what they have in common is that we see Mary super, super calm many times looking down and quiet or her, with her eyes closed, her hands are kind of like this, very calm and gentle. Her skin looks like porcelain, like porcelain skin that makes her look more like a doll than a human. Not a lot of expression in her face. In fact, she's almost stoic with no emo emotions, extremely passive. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, something like this. I have an example, something like that. Nothing wrong with this art. I want to be careful here. Nothing wrong with it. It's actually really beautiful. It's very well done. The problem of depicting Mary in this way is that it creates a little bit of a barrier. Because if we can't see her as a human who had emotions and feelings and struggles and joys, if we don't see that in her, it's hard for us to relate to her. She looks more like a, like a doll, like a figurine. It's just hard. Now, the second reason why many of us don't spend a lot of time with Mary is because many of us in the evangelical world, and this one we're just going to have to own, some of us, many of us, let's just face it, we just don't know what to do with Mary. <laughs> right? We don't know what to do with her. 
Our Catholic brothers and sisters have these traditions around Mary and this devotion to her, and they enjoy it, and they do all these things, and because we don't know what to do with it, we kind of stay away from it. We stay away from her. And what happens is that Christmas comes, and we need to dust her off and bring her out because we need her for the nativity scene. And then Christmas is over and we put her back in the closet for the rest of the year. It sounds like a joke, but we kind of think like that many times, right? I actually called a few friends before preaching yesterday. Because I said, I'm going to say this. Is it just me? Or does that happen to you too? And they said, yep, both of them said, yep, happens to me too. Say it. Anyway, since this is a reality for more than one person in the room, what I'd like for us to do this morning is to put aside any preconceived notions or images we may have of her and to open our minds to look at her in her full humanity. Because there is so much more we can learn from this woman and the way that she believed in God and particularly the way she experienced Christ. Sounds good? Yep. Yes, sounds very good. Let's start with some context here. And for that, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, if you don't mind, just for a little bit. Close your eyes and imagine a little village in the Middle East, north of Israel, to be more precise. This village is so small, there's only about 400 people living there. You can imagine this village, right at the center, there's the market and the synagogue. Then you have the homes of the most influential people next to them. In an outer layer, you have the middle class. And at the very end, you have the houses of those who live at the outskirts, those in the margins. Now, I want you to go to that place at the very end of town. Those at the margins, those homes, those parts of town. And imagine a young girl between 13 and 15 years old walking down the street. By the look of her clothes, you can tell she is poor, very vulnerable. She's also illiterate. She does not know how to read or write. She has dreams, longings, desires. And she is engaged to a much older man, a guy she barely knows. This is Mary. Try to picture her. Try to see her face her clothes, her age. This is the girl that God chose to be the mother of Jesus. This is a young woman to whom the angel Gabriel appeared one night and said, rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Do you remember that conversation? You can open your eyes now if you want, or else you'll fall asleep. <laughs> Do you remember this conversation between the angel and Mary? It's probably one of the most quoted passages in Christmas. So we want to just refresh our minds real quick. When the angel appears to her and says, rejoice, highly favored one, he goes on to tell her her big calling, this huge calling for her life. And he says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And as he's saying all these things to Mary, Mary can only think, well, how on earth is this going to happen? I mean, I'm a virgin. 
Like she, she, she skipped the whole part. She's like, let's get down to logistics. How is this going to happen? And the angel says, you know, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Simple as that. <laughs> you know, many people, when they hear this story, they get so stuck in this part. The whole story of the initiation, you get to this part and it's like, ah, I'm not sure. It sounds too, it sounds impossible. It's almost incredible. It sounds like a fairy tale and a lot of people just discard the whole story because of it. And okay, fair enough. After all, you do need faith to believe, right? But what I find even harder to believe in this story is not that she got pregnant because of the Holy Spirit. What is almost impossible for me to believe is that she actually said yes to this. <laughs> That's harder to believe. I mean, who does that? Who does that? Women. Guys, sorry, I'm going to ignore you just for a minute. Women. Who of you, if something like this happened to you, just like it happened to Mary, she had her plans, she had her dreams, she probably had a job at the market or something. If God interrupted you right where you're at today and said this to you, how many of you would say yes? Come on. I wouldn't. I think I wouldn't. Not me. Because the first thing I would have done was to count the price, the cost. Too high, too risky. And as we know, she counted the price too. She had to. Pastor Dave talked about it a little bit last Sunday. This divine invitation put in jeopardy her marriage, her future, her life. If Joseph would have been righteous, he would have followed the law. And Mary would have died in a very horrible way. She knew the risks. She knew the laws that were in place, and yet she said yes. She said, yes, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me according to your word. That was her exact response. Let it be with me according to your word. That was what her faith looked like and sounded like. That was the level of her commitment. Pretty big. And this was just the beginning. This was just the news of what was to come. Just the beginning of her journey. And if we want to truly honor Mary, her faith, all that she did, we ought to look at the rest of her life. All of it. Because every step of the way was marked by challenges and struggles and pain. But there were also many moments of immense joy and deep satisfaction that we just can't miss. When the angel left Mary, we know that she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth. The angel had told her that she was also pregnant at her old age. And so she went to visit her. And this moment when they finally saw each other was glorious. Because when Elizabeth heard, heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. What a great day. And they were rejoicing. They were happy. And for a moment... For just a moment, the world stopped and they both put their fears aside. Elizabeth stopped thinking about the risk of pregnancy at an old age. And Mary stopped thinking about the risk of her pregnancy outside of marriage. 
And for that moment, they allow themselves to rejoice, to be happy, and to embrace the miracle of life being created inside of them. What a great day. This joy was so profound in Mary's heart that that moved her to say her most famous prayer, Mary's song, known to many as the Magnificat. Have you, do you remember her prayer, her song, her response? I'm going to read to you just the first part. All of it is beautiful, but just this first part really captivated me. She said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations shall call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Amen. What a beautiful prayer. What a beautiful way of choosing to trust God and to rejoice in him in a moment of such uncertainty. One of the things I like the most about this prayer is that it shows how Mary, when she had the opportunity to magnify her problems, she instead magnified the Lord. Think about that. That's the way Mary lived out her faith during her pregnancy. That's how she cho chose to live, with trust, with confidence, and with passion. And when the, in the, baby, when the baby finally came, that fearless faith turned into tenderness and compassion and care. As you can see, Mary was so much more than that stoic, emotionless, passive woman some of us have imagined her to be. She had the faith of a giant and the meekness of a servant. She had the care and compassion of a loving mother and a genuine, deep commitment to God. This was the woman that four generations would be called blessed. This woman was blessed, blessed among women. Blessed Mary, mother of God. You know, when we think about being blessed, what are the things that usually come to mind? When you say, oh, thank God, we are very blessed. What do we usually refer to? Things are going great at work. We're doing great with our health. Relationships are going good. Family, all good things, right? And those are blessings, indeed, from the Lord. They are. But I wonder that if we are reducing the full extent of God's blessing to simply having good things happen to us. And the reason why I say this is because here we have Mary called blessed among all women, blessed of blessed. And when I look at her life and what her blessing looked like, it gives me goosebumps. It gives me chills. Bringing Jesus into this world was a blessing that came with severe challenges for Mary. Not only did this blessing put her at risk in, in her society, the actual delivery of the baby must have come with severe labor pains. As soon as the baby was a week old, she brought him to the temp temple and a guy called Simeon told her that the life of this baby would pierce her soul like a sword. 
He knew what was coming. He warned her. Her blessing included having to escape to Egypt as a refugee when Herod wanted to kill Jesus. And this season would involve living in scarcity without food or shelter while being in exile. And they would eventually come back and one day her son would grow up to be an adult and start his ministry. And many would come to him, yes, but many others would mock him and ridicule him day in and day out. And she would have to suffer through that. And the time would come for him to get judged, condemned, and crucified. And this woman would watch her own son, her innocent son, die on a cross right before her eyes. That was the extent of Mary's blessing. And to all of it, she said, yes. Yes. Now those examples are only a few examples that we find in the Bible. But can you imagine all the other things that she might have experienced? A whole lot of things. Good things, bad things, difficult things. Can you imagine what she felt when she held her baby for the first time? Parents, mothers, fathers, you, you know this feeling. You've felt that before. That joy that you can't contain and that fear of dropping the baby. Can you imagine if Mary would have dropped the baby? She would have dropped God. <laughs> Not that it's okay to drop any other baby, but it's like, there goes God. I would have been shaking. Can you imagine how anxious she must have felt every time the kid got sick? How about the time when she lost him when he was 12, when they went to the temple? They lost him. They went home without him. Can you imagine? Where's Jesus? We lost Jesus. And they had to go back to find him. Every day, this woman gave the best of herself to this child. And she went to the depths of despair, trusting that it was all worth it. Because God was with her and she was never alone. What we learn from Mary's life is that being blessed does not mean having a life where only good things happen to us. Being blessed means having the presence of God in the midst of our lives. It means having his peace, his strength, and his love even when our lives may be falling apart. That's a blessing. He is our blessing. Being able to say, my life belongs to the Lord. I believe in him and he believes in me. And when things get difficult, I know I can put my faith in him. For I know he is always with me. He's always for me. That's a blessing. Is there anyone that is blessed here today? We're very blessed. We're very blessed. And the question for us is this. When was the last time you trusted God like that? When was the last time you said yes to God in the same unconditional way that Mary did? The kind of yes that says, I'm in no matter what. This makes no sense, but I trust you. I will follow you. I don't know what this means. I will continue to believe. I will pray. I will stay strong. 
I have hope. I believe in you. I've only done it a few times in my life. I mean, many times I've said yes to God, but many of those times, the moment it gets hard, I go, oh, never mind. But a yes like that, few. And there is one particular moment that I can remember. I, in fact, I'll never forget it. It happened exactly seven years ago during a personal retreat that I did when I walked again. Those of you that have heard my story, I've spent nine months in a hospital bed without moving with no hopes of ever walking again. And one day I walked again and of course it changed my life. And I sought the Lord for 40 days and for 40 nights because I wanted to live my life differently. I wanted to make whatever changes I needed to make. I wanted my life to be worth it, worthwhile living. And so I sought him 40 days and 40 nights, literally, because the house next door in the tiny little town had a donkey. And he would not let me sleep. <laughs> and I would pray. And I asked and I asked for clarity and I got nothing. Zero. Nada. I wanted instructions as clear as Mary got them. Maybe not the same instructions, but as clear as she got them. But I never did. And one day I felt it in my heart. I knew that what God was calling me to do was to trust him no matter what. To trust him and to say yes before he actually told me what was next. And I thought about it. And I counted the cost. At least I thought. And I decided I was going to do it. And I remember the day when it happened. I was walking down the beach. I got on my knees, I opened my hands, and I said, Lord, my life is yours. And whatever you want it to look like, and whatever you want, it, you want me to do, I will do. And it was a powerful moment. And me being me, it wasn't enough. Because my background is in business, and when something is legit, you write a contract. And that's what I did. So I went to my room, and I grabbed one of my notebooks, new blank page, and I write and I wrote down a contract and I put the date, the place where I was, and then I wrote, I, Gabriela Viesca Chavez, commit to, there's a picture right there. It's in Spanish, but you know what I mean. Yo, Gabriela Viesca Chavez, me comprometo a commit to blank, empty space, whatever you want, without condition. That's what it says at the bottom. Whatever you write in here, I accept whatever you say without condition. Signed it. Boom. I wanted to show you this picture because this is the single most important piece of paper that I have. I have my birth certificate that I need to have with me. I have my passport I got to have it with me. I've got my documents, legal documents. I got to have those with me. But this piece of paper is way more important because it reminds me of my commitment. And this I wrote seven years ago and I've lived in about six different, six or seven different places ever since. And the first thing I packed is that notebook and it comes with me because I need it. Now I won't ask you to do the same, you can. You can do whatever you want. But I will ask you this. I will ask you to consider what God may be calling you to say yes to in the same way that Mary did. 
a yes without conditions, a yes that does not turn into a no when things get difficult. Think about your life. Think about the areas where you experience your biggest struggle, your number one struggle, and consider what saying yes to God in that area may look like for you. If you were to ask God right now, what would he say? Write it down. Write it down, whatever you heard. Because let me tell you one thing, more often than not, it is in the midst of your deepest sorrows that you can experience God's deepest redemption and grace. It's right there in the darkest moment, in the darkest hour. And a great example of that is Mary's experience standing at the foot of the cross. I cannot imagine, I don't think I can imagine what she would have felt like. The pain. This must have been her absolute darkest hour in her life, watching her son get crucified. She couldn't do anything to rescue him. She couldn't hold him while he suffered. This was her baby boy. She couldn't even moisten his lips when his mouth got dry. This was her son and he was dying. He was suffering. But he was also her Messiah. He was her God and Redeemer. And as painful as the experience must have been, we know that there was a third day coming, right? When she would witness the magnificent power of the cross and the tremendous power of faith. Because he was on that third day that Jesus conquered death and rose again. On that third day, she saw the power of the cross, the promise that no matter how difficult or painful or scary your cross may be, there is a third day coming when he will wipe every tear from your eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For all those things will be gone forever. The same happened to me in first service. Thought I was going to make it. <laughs> Trusting God with our entire hearts may not always be easy. But I can assure you, it will always be worth it. Absolutely always. Always. So as we get ready to receive today's communion... I want to encourage you to just spend some time considering the significance of this sacrifice. The meaning of his body and blood given to death so that you could have life. And once you've done that, once you've checked your heart before the Lord, once you've confessed anything you need to confess or say anything you need to say, you can take your elements on your own. And remember. And remember. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good. You're too good. We can't comprehend it. But we thank you for that goodness. We thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for coming to this world. 
for showing us the way. We thank you for people like Mary who trusted you, who believed in you, who obeyed you, who rejoiced in you, who lived a life worth living. We ask you to give us faith like that or more. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to empower us, to come alive in us, to speak to us, to light a fire in our hearts. We know, God, that we cannot do anything without you. And so we declare that for all things we depend on you and that we need you. Jesus, we need you. We need you to be our Lord and Savior. We need you to redeem us. We need, we need to believe in you. We need you. Thank you for the cross, Father. We remember it with reverence. We remember it with joy and with thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen.